that mm-hmm. is the true like crawl walk run right board games right. crawled so legacy games could walk so then we as ttrpg players could run like that's exactly. the true trajectory yes <laughs> yeah Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from today's conversation with Liv, at Liv in a Day on Twitter. She's a TTRPG streamer, podcaster, and voice actor, running seven games at a time. Today, we talk about kobolds and trench coats, board games, gaming in school curriculums, and so much more. If you want to hear a bonus episode with Liv after the main episode, or you just want to support the podcast in general and help fund future endeavors, consider making a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus minisodes every week that range in length from 15 minutes to full-length bonus episodes, as well as access to the entire catalog of previous bonus content. That's four additional episodes a month for only $5. So if you enjoy our conversation today, don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash dungeons and dinners and help keep this podcast ad free now let's get on with the conversation welcome take a seat anywhere be right with you and as i said today we are joined by live one sailor live at living a day on twitter a ttrpg streamer and so much more live thank you so much for joining me Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm great to have you. We, we've got a little bit of pre-chat already yes. going down. So <laughs> I have to say that we've already got a little bit of a vibe. Yeah. Set I was going to say so. the vibes are immaculate. Like they are yeah, good. They're vibing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving this. I'm loving it. So uh, for the uninitiated, for those who haven't gotten to vibe with you yet, mm-hmm. uh, who is Liv and what do you do in the TTRPG space? Hi, um, I'm Liv. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Liv in a day, pronouns she they i've just realized now that that rhymes oh i'm so cute anyway um, so i am a ttrpg streamer um podcaster i do some like light i guess voice work um but yeah i do gosh i feel like i do everything nowadays like D pathfinder power by the apocalypse blades in the dark masks like do i do it all i do a bunch of different games. There's one month where I learned seven games in one month for uh, one of my shows. So yeah, <laughs> I've so and I and now I'm gonna have to the the listeners that have been following along. Actually, this may actually be slightly out of canonical order, Ooh. but I've had several uh, guests come on and talk about power uh, power of or power by the apocalypse. Powered by the apocalypse. Powered by the apocalypse. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I promised I would look into it, and I haven't yet. <laughs> but the, by the time this episode comes out, hopefully I will have. Hopefully. <laughs> Do you have <laughs> I've questions? I've heard so much about it. I, I, I mean, I've actually I, I've heard a lot of great things about it. It seems to be a pretty narrative-driven system, which I'm all about. Uh, very rules light, but still intense. Yes. And that's all stuff that I'm interested in. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it sounds right up my alley. A lot of people have been talking about like Monster of the Week, which yes. is by Power of the by the Apocalypse. And that's something that I'm also like, I thought for a while, because I'd only heard it like once or twice kind of in passing. And I thought it was like, that's just sounds like a great name for somebody's stream and for like, <laughs> Oh, we have one. We fight a monster every week. Yeah. Da, 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 da. 
and it's like no it's a whole it's a whole thing <laughs> it's a whole thing it's a whole system so um yeah so i do a couple of different shows one of them being under the table over on total party chill where we play like a whole bunch of different game systems like basically anything that's not like fantasy with probably a d20 um so there's a couple of different games that we played our first season we did monster of the week for a little bit and then on our second system we did a different power by the apocalypse system called the veil where it's like two entirely different things and so that's kind of the cool thing about powered by the apocalypse because masks is also technically a powered by the apocalypse game but it really just is the idea of using like you have two d6s and like very slim margins it can either go very bad 50 50 or extremely good um really quickly so that's kind of like the i guess the rush of it if you're <laughs> i feel like when you play ttrpgs there's a part of you that loves like the gamble of the right. encounter yes. yes 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 and so powered by the apocalypse really hones in on that but so many different kinds of games have been built with it like monster of the week is obviously pretty self-explanatory but the veil is this almost like cyberpunky um there's a real world and then there's like this sort of matrix world beyond the other the the beyond the veil beyond the veil yeah but it's like all very sci-fi but then like monster hearts 2 also uses power by the apocalypse and that's just like the cw of ttrpgs i say lovingly (laughs) i love monster hearts but it is that and so i don't know it's it's a lot of fun, but like I've also learned how to play games that use like tarot cards and interpreting mm-hmm. like tarot cards as kind of your your luck role. And that's really fun because there is this That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's this element of like you truly don't know what you're gonna get. And the people who write games based off of things like tarot or non-traditional games where you're not using dice, I feel like there's this yeah. extra element of love and creativity put into them because there's always like a guide because it's not right. you're you're not just pulling the card like you have to go and it's like okay so these are what these cards mean in this game or right. how do you interpret the imagery that you're seeing and so that's very that's extremely narrative and it's very um a lot of those games are gmless so it makes all right. the power all the players feel like they're on the same like control level same power level so i don't know it's all really cool yeah, I've uh, I've been dabbling with and it's not I don't think it's anything that I'm like going to try to take to market or anything, but I've been dabbling with a pseudo GM list system. And there like there are a lot. I've actually been researching other GM list systems, um, but also not everybody is good in those kinds of systems because some people are players because they don't want to have to try to control the world. And so what I've been kind of working on is a because like you said, gambling is the gamble. The rush is fun. So I'm actually working on a system that builds gambling in and has kind of like uh, essentially player side and GM side chips that you can bet with. And when you bet with one type of chip, you win the opposite type. And so you can kind of work your way through and everybody submits like there's before anything actually happens, there's like a narration phase where everybody writes down a goal that they want to do, right? Like or something, whether it's what they want to do or what they think the bad guy might want to do. And so they all everybody gets a chance to submit a goal. You don't have to and you can always submit more. But it sets up the, the scene to where like 
as a as a GM or a DM or whatever, I feel like as the narrator, I'm trying to use that term more. I find myself in a position where I never am a hundred percent confident that I know for a fact that the players are loving the story or the plot or the characters that I've put out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and the thing, the goal with this is that everybody puts an idea out, but mm-hmm. then everybody has to have there's like I, I'm setting it up kind of like poker. You have a buy-in phase. Mm-hmm. So now you've got to buy in to the goals that you're interested in seeing play out. Yeah, which I think like yeah, I think that's a really, really, really great take. I really like that. So um, then you like know that the table is interesting. Like if everybody yeah. buys into one goal, you know everybody wants to see that played out. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, no, I, I love that because um, I have been in both like the GM seat and then the player seat where I'm like, hey, everybody, what did you think? Everybody's like, it's, it's good. And then like I've also had my GMs be like, what did you think? What did you like? And I was like, everything. (laughs) It was all good. It was all like, I don't know what you're, but but yeah, yeah, being in that, I don't know, maybe it's it's some of it's, you know, self-confidence stuff, but I think a lot of people struggle with that. I definitely Mm -hmm. do. Oh yeah. And I think also like, um, if I recently had a conversation with someone, um, where they got a little bit of flack from a player because they had like, they were using, um, consent, like, toolkits and safety toolkits and stuff like that and the gm was the person i was talking to who was the gm was trying to explain to them like hey i'm just doing this one to make sure that everybody's like good to go and is safe and comfortable but then also this is like extremely useful for me because i need to know what kind of game you want to play and so this is kind of like a built-in version of that of like at least that second part of like right I don't, ha- I don't really necessarily have to ask you, like, obviously you still should, but I don't need to ask you 100% what kind of game you want to play because you're going to tell me. Right. Actually, that that brings in something that I might, I might have to take some notes and look at doing is mm-hmm. adding to the consent toolkit is yeah. like an interest toolkit, mm-hmm. right? Like, tell me how interesting you think these monsters are or these hooks right yeah so not because like i i am a hundred percent all about consent toolkits Mm -hmm. and if somebody wants to give flack on that then they may just be giving flack to my whole table yeah so i mean no no offense but that just may not be their kind of game Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and so but also like an interest toolkit but like again pre-session zero what do you think about political intrigue yeah what do you think about mysteries what do you think Mm -hmm. about you know, steampunk, sci-fi, fantasy, high magic, low magic, mm-hmm. specific to undead. Yeah. Like, you know, because the consent toolkit talks about like monsters, hags, clowns type stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. sexual content or whatever, but it doesn't necessarily guide the DM into what kind of game everybody wants to play. And if somebody puts down like, I want goblins and dwarves and war and political intrigue. Yeah. And somebody else is like, I want elves and dwarves and war and political intrigue. Then like now you've got an idea of what your players want. And if other players just want traps and kick in the door and munchkin, like you at least get to feel out what pillars of play your players are interested in, how much they want to devote to their backstory before anybody touches a character sheet. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I 
gosh, almost like a year ago, which is wild. I got the opportunity to play with um, Will, like Will Munn from um, Adept Icarus. They're the people behind Arium. And we got to play Arium in like a horror setting. And I feel like not just, I mean, obviously, again, can't stress enough about like safety toolkits, but interest toolkits are essential to like building something that's horror or mystery or something like that, because something's only scary if it's interesting, you know what I mean? And so that was like a really cool thing to like sit there with everybody and all of us kind of be like, Hey, here are all the horror tropes that like we feel comfortable playing with and let's like figure something out together. And we just kind of like, were able to give him all of our high interest items and let him like take it and run with it. And I remember leaving like that session, that like creation session being like, I have no idea how he's going to put any of this stuff together. And it was one of the scariest games I've ever played. (laughs) It was so, so good. Um, That's I've, I've never been like, so I can't do horror movies. I'm not a big horror movie, but I cannot. But at the same token, spoken word horror doesn't really do anything to me. Yeah. Like I, and so I've, it's, I've always had an interest. Like I always want to think that like, if I can find a really good horror GM, I would love to know what that feels like, mm-hmm. but it's so hard. Like my suspension of disbelief, just, I just laugh it down. Right. <laughs> like it's so, but I think that, I think that it does bring a point with like Google sheets and, or, or survey monkey or whatever you want to use. There's an infinite number of tools that can take what may seem like a complicated, like, 50 question questionnaire, right? Mm-hmm. Like spend 20 minutes and really quickly just one to five all of these. But at the end of that, the person that's reading it can spit out really detailed analytics in like 10 seconds yeah. that tell them this is the campaign that you make. Like, don't worry about coming up with it. Your players, let your players tell you. Exactly. And I and I do like this sort of new push with uh, in the community of your GM isn't the one who does all of the work. Cause I feel like when I first started playing games, um, I, I was fortunate enough to become a player f- or to be a player first and then play games. But the, I always call him like the GM that raised me, like <laughs> the guy who kind of was like, Hey, let me teach you everything. Um, he didn't get that opportunity. He had to be a GM first. And I can't imagine what that was like because I could not just sit here and be like, okay, well, I'm going to do it all by myself, mm-hmm. I guess. And so I like that there's this push in the community of, no, like, you're also responsible. Like, I'm not just going to do the project and you present present it, like, when it's time right. to be due. Like, we're all in this together. So A lot of DMs are those former gifted kids who yes. got stuck with the whole project. The whole I don't project. know anything about that at all. <laughs> Um, I'm not no, called out. <laughs> no. The first time that somebody was like, yeah, I let my players name the NPCs. Like, what? You could do that? I don't have to be called upon every time to name the NPCs. I'm going to stop, the- like, having a baby name. <laughs> right. Like, I've my- got the number of, like, Don John, baby name generator. Yes. Like, there's all these tool- fantasy name generators. I was literally thinking like- fantasy name <laughs> generator. Everybody can see the GeoCities background that knows. <laughs> like- <laughs> yes. The millions of, like, different ancestries. It's like, why? What are we doing here? Yeah, no. Just, just throw it on your players. Be like, okay, you're on the spot now. What's mm-hmm. their name? Okay, where are they from? What's their background? What race are they? 
Um, my favorite thing that I've heard recently was <laughs> um, that, I mean, we all have the joke of like, so-and-so walks into the room. Are they hot? And right. so <laughs> I heard one of my friends, GMs will make their player role. And if they hit a certain number, they'll be like, yeah, you think that they're hot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Give me a charisma check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get a charisma save. You've got to figure out if you think you're they're hot or not. Yeah, which is like so funny to me. You are suddenly very attracted to half goblins. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you oh, need to explain that in your backstory now. Yeah, literally. Like, what books have you been reading? You think they're a 10, but to the rest of the party, they're a solid three. Like, figure right. that out. <laughs> Well, this one time in college, you had, you know. This <laughs> so one time in fantasy college, you had a wild night. Yeah. And it just set you, you just from then on, you looked at him differently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So speaking of college and past and history, what yeah. is your history? Where did you, where were you introduced to TTRPGs? Actually, a perfect segue. Technically, I was introduced in college. Um, I mean, I had the gateway drug of Settlers of Catan, like I think most of us do. <laughs> um, my That's really undermentioned. We'll get back to that. Okay. Give her her roses, her flowers, her moment in the sun or sky or whatever. I just, she's great. Anyway, but my APU's history teacher um, had, a, had a thing every week when we did our essays, like our test essays. Um, when we were done, if we finished them early, we could play board games. She had 300 board games in her classroom. This is a U.S. classroom, so you can imagine how small that space was. <laughs> 300 board games. And she was, in, in her own words, she was only allowed to have them because they were all, she could uh, tie them to her curriculum standards. So I went to, I was born and raised in California, all of the games that she had could be under the California public school system deemed as educational materials, which is so cool. Now that like I'm older and I'm in this community, I'm like, that's so cool. She like went to the board game convention every year in Germany, like all this stuff. Like, yeah, she's, she was really, really cool. And now that I look back on it, I'm like, Oh, this is your fault. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I played Sellers of Catan all the time. And then when I was in my freshman year of college, me and the other theater kids were like, let's play Pathfinder. Um, and I love them dearly. Those were great memories. Not necessarily the best game that was run for me. Um, I only played two sessions and I never came back. And then as I, like, as D&D &D 5E started kind of like, becoming the phenomenon the like the media phenomenon that it was i like listened to the adventure zone which then i got drugged into critical role or dragged into critical role um and by 2018 my best friend and i were like we were like absolutely desperate to find a game and we met this guy in um orange county california who basically was like going to all these different game shops and posting like little like almost like wanted like help wanted flyers that had yes. his um facebook information like how to find him on social media and it basically was like uh you know gm of i can't remember how many years but gm of this many years looking for new players 
And that's what he was advertising. He was like, I, if you have never picked up the game before, if you've never played before, I want you at my table. That's awesome. Yes. And like in multiple game shops, like literally all over the place. Like I was living in Anaheim. He was living in Santa Ana at the time, like even all the way into orange, just like really legitimately throughout the County. And so we reached out to him and I like sat down with him September, 2018, built my first character. He's still one of my closest friends to this day. All of us are like in a group together. Um, I did my first like streamed game with him. Um, before I was doing any of the stuff I was doing now, I was part of a show called D&D Tonight, which was based out of like a gaming cafe in California. Um, and yeah, and I just, I haven't looked back. Um, that's kind of like where my start was. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. And I think that, I think that it is really undersung, even in the history of this podcast, not a lot of people have mentioned board games as the gateway drug to D&D. And there are so many of them that have either D&D tropes or just analogs. Like there's a there's a group of friends that I've played with quite frequently that plays uh what is it? The I always get it wrong because of the stupid movie of a similar name, like The Haunting of the House on the Hill or The ha- yes. Haunted House on the Hill. Yes, yes, yes. So, um that same group of friends I was talking about, the GM and my best friend we played that game religiously and there's actually a version of it that's like a campaign. But mm-hmm. yes, it's the how is the haunting in the house, house on hill. haunted hill? Something like or, that. Yeah, it's so close. There's something in there that's the the people that know will know. The people that don't know are very confused. Just Google like house on haunted hill board game and you'll find it. But it it sets up to where everybody's on the same team at first and the map builds itself as you explore it. And then at some point in the game, depending on all of the things that have happened, I, so the game turns differently and you'll either be against each other or one person will be a bad guy. And there's like a thousand different scenarios. It's wild. So you actually are touching on the thing that is throwing us off. It's not a haunting. It's betrayal at House on the betrayal. Hill. Betrayal. That's it. It's yes. a betrayal. Betrayal on House and on the Hill. Because yeah. some usually more often than not, one player is the betrayer. But yes. I've... I've I've played in a bunch of scenarios where it's a like a free for all. Yeah. And those are the worst because there's wheeling and dealings between players where we're trying to make alliances. And <laughs> I'm so jealous because I've never had a free for all situation and I'm never the betrayer. I love oh, oh, I'm like always the bet- I always get betrayer and the one now the one time that we did have a free for all, I lost bad. Oh no. But the house like got picked up by a giant bird or something. Yeah. And there's only there's like only a couple of parachutes. Wow, and the crazy. goal is you have to like fight over the parachutes and then get out. Oh. And I tried to wheel and deal. I was like, we'll fight, we'll beat him up and steal his parachute, and then we'll have two and then we'll go. Mm-hmm. And then we beat him up, but the other person took the parachute. And had two and jumped out with both of them. Like I love so that. He, he killed everyone <laughs> because he st- he had one parachute on him and stole the other. Yes. I was like, you rat. So good. <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible, but like what a winner. What a winner. I know, right? Like I was like, I re- I'll remember this. Yeah. The the campaign version is very interesting because like you are all 
there's like some kind of board or some kind of token that like tracks every session that you play mm -hmm. and so you play intergenerationally like every time oh, you play that's really cool. yeah it's a different generation of characters but like you all play one family so like it could be like house brett versus house live but like we're okay. playing different members of our family each time we oh, that's meet up super to play. cool yeah super cool have oh no go ahead Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I know that there's other, oh my god, somebody in a different podcast talked about it at one point, but I know there are, like, a there's a subset of, like, TTRPGs where you play generations of, like, a family or a community, and I won't play those so bad. That seems really cool, because I think that's, that's almost adopting, and I think that's one thing that board games, at least, there's a phase. I don't know how popular it is still. I know they exist still, but I don't know how... Like the if the rage is still on for it, but the legacy games where like and I got my start with Risk Legacy, which uh, for those that don't aren't aware is a version, a legacy version of board game is made to be played with probably the same group of people most of the time. And it's made to be played about 10 times. And the board like you will use a Sharpie on it. You will cross out rules in the rule book. There are stickers that you will apply to things. You will rip up character. You will like rip up rules in the rule book. You will make permanent changes to the game. And there's little packets that you'll like open up only when certain things happen in a game. And it is such a wild and hedonistic way to play a board game, to put stickers on it, to yeah. write on it with a Sharpie, to mark on it. But it's actually so cool because how often do you play the same board game more than 10 times? Right. Like that's what and it's... so. Yeah. Yeah. Like just getting to get in there and get messy with it, I think is so it, it it's like it's like writing in a library book. It feels wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or like those books that like I remember when I was like a teenager, it was like destroy this journal or something like that. Like it has that same kind of energy. That mm -hmm. is the true like crawl, walk, run. Right. Board games. Right crawled so legacy games could walk so then we as ttrpg players could run like that's exactly. the true trajectory <laughs> yes yeah but. and so so it's it's funny that i've i've never heard of anybody getting their start in D, &D with a bunch of theater kids that's never happened never ever no. happened <laughs> <laughs> what i'm so unique wow yeah. <laughs> But I, I, I think it is like it, it's an interesting point to bring that up because I think that there is a certain amount of drama that you have to like. Mm -hmm. I think that that is part of what draws people in is like mm -hmm. I think that it would be keen of more people like you kind of mentioned this in, in Powered by the Apocalypse as well is that the soap opera style of gameplay yeah. i think a lot of people try to take things too seriously mm -hmm. and like lean into days of our elven lives <laughs> now i want that like now oh my oh no that's what it has to be right a legacy ttrpg campaign where it's like days of our elven lives meets real house spouses of like oh, the dwarven of the Feywilds and just like just generation after generation with like because that's a little bit of like Degrassi 90210 sprinkled in 
Yep. Now you know exactly what kind of player I am. That's so Oh, funny. no, that's that's great. <laughs> well, and so it really just is. It's just all of that with a little Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the yes. set. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> we have to have like a little a little bit of drama um, to back it up, which, yeah, that's. Uh, but you do you do have to have people who are willing to like go in for the dramatics because even even if you are like a crunchy combat player um i knew a guy who um he liked 5e he really did but he was definitely more of like a 3.5 kind of a guy or like a pathfinders 2e kind of guy because like the ability to get really crunchy with the um attacks and the way you build your character but that also requires a bit of air for the dramatics or at least a mind for the dramatics because in your mind you're definitely like envisioning an over dramatic fight scene in an action right. movie like describe your attack then. describe your attack and like though they will give you two pages uh 12 like 12 size font times new roman no spaces like they will just go in right and i love that but well and i think that that's that's where so okay so mm -hmm. i agree that it's a hundred percent that the combat focused player convincing them to narrate their combat is giving them their dramatic flair and everybody is kind of at least a lot of people that i have interfaced with are very aware of kind of the me style which is if you you asked for a backstory I'm sorry, <laughs> but and so that's the kind of narrative lore kind of player. You know that that player like gauging interest. If somebody gives you a 20 page backstory, then they want lore in their world. What is the key signifier? And I always have trouble finding this. I don't know. I've not asked this question before, but what is the key signifier that somebody is an exploration pillar player? Ooh, um. I think that person, the first thing they're doing, first of all, if you look at their their sheet, they have maxed out whatever sort of stat is related to exploration. Um, perception, insight, um, if you're playing masks like superior or something like that, or cool, or you know what I mean? Like whatever stat is going to let them see everything um, that's what they're going to max out on. That's like your first, like, okay, we're not even in the session. You've just turned in your sheet. Okay. I think I've got an idea. That person is also, cause I, I, I am a little bit this person. Sometimes I, I play characters who have this mindset. So I kind of have an idea of like how I like to play those characters. The first thing they're doing is to roll some kind of search check. That is the first thing that they are doing. Yep. I was just thinking it's probably the player that goes, well, what does the room look like? Yes. What does the room look like? What do I see? Um, they're like the the kid that like has to just see everything and touch everything. That's how they definitely interact with the scene. Um, and, and I guess like in that case, it might be a good thing to kind of like touch base with that player and ask like, hey, what are you looking for? Because I remember right. when I first started playing, I was like fascinated by like traps and puzzles and things like that. Um, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the uh, brightest tool in the shed. Or as my dad likes to say, I'm missing a fry, a few fries short of a Happy Meal. But yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. yep. But um, I like 
love puzzles and I love like working them over in my head. Eventually I realized um, not everybody enjoys writing puzzles. (laughs) (laughs) They can be difficult, but I think, you know, I've had a few episodes trying to teach GMs to be as on the fly with puzzle making as they are with encounters and like a puzzle doesn't have to, it can have a set solution, Mm -hmm. but everybody's been in the situation where a puzzle that a kindergartner can solve in 30 seconds can take a well-equipped 10th level party an hour to argue through. Yes. And, and so like letting players letting it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line between, you don't want to like pillow fist things and mm-hmm. just let players all you're always right. You have plot armor, but also you don't want to be no, you have to fill the first vial with the blood of an elf because that's what the poem said. Like, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that if they come up with an, a genuinely creative solution and multiple players have a eureka moment and you take that from them, even if it's not because it's not your solution, then you're taking away what everybody was so certain is like, oh my God, we finally figured it out. We have it. It's this. And you're like, no. Yeah. Well, that's that's dull. Like, let them have it. Let them have that be the Eureka. Let that be the solution to it. Be like, and the door opens. <laughs> yeah. Because if you say that, even if it's not your answer, everybody will lose their gall darn mind. They're going to lose it. They're going to love it. And it's so it's also like really funny because like you're talking about like, oh, you know, what might take a kindergartner 30 seconds, a party 10 minutes. Isn't it so funny how you end up building encounters? Because like, I'll tell you right now, I can, I can try to build what I think is like a fair and level encounter. But because everybody is like, knows their playbook, they know their character, they know what, you know, combos or whatever to do. And so they're just like, knock it out of the park, easy peasy. But, like, I'll tell you right now, trying to figure out what the party's going to do with those 200 gold pieces that they got after, you know, slaying whatever monster. Going to be here for nope. 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the shopping the shopping episode that somehow you guys do not have thousands of gold. Yes. But we need to figure out how we could fit in a lantern, a ladder. Yes. Somebody needs a pet. Like... Always. It's always something. And so it's just, like, it's very funny to kind of. But, I mean, I guess it goes back to, like, how do you. How do you build your game for the people that you're playing with? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a there's <laughs> it's funny that you you talk about like encounter building. And I think that a really fun thing to do is especially as as a GM, like I love giving players opportunities to do really cool things. So one of the things that if players are interested, I will modify and I won't set this up in session zero. I wait to see if players try to do it organically. But the moment they do, it's like that legacy board game moment. We're having a new session zero. There's a chance for some homebrew rules here if you're interested. This is what I call like Voltroning. So if players are holding actions to try to combo off of each other and build some, because it, it'll build a relationship, right? If If I do this and I hold my action and you do that, then this, they can together become... I don't know, the critical role fluff or nutter, right? Like it can become a thing that bonds those characters together. Then I will allow that to become its own special ability that requires both characters to interact in. The flip side of that 
is if the players and like players love like you mean we can all come together and form a megazord or a voltron and do some crazy super powered thing that requires everybody to forfeit their action for a turn and the next turn something wild they all get bonuses to get to do and it becomes a group attack in the same way as you would do like a group stealth the 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 flip side of that though is that now to to have a megazord I've got to have like Rita in space making the monsters big and beefy. So you're either going to be fighting bigger monsters or the enemies will Voltron. They, you know, all of the goblins will come together and do some crazy goblin attack. Three so kobolds like, in a trench coat. Exa- exactly. It becomes three kobolds in a trench coat and all of their crossbows fire at the same time to mm-hmm. do something wild or something, you know? And like, I think that it's, Again, it's kind of offering that, like, do, do you want to do this? Do yeah. you want to lean into this? Because there's, it makes for narrative moments. It makes for those those points where players that wouldn't normally share backstories now bond because they have a shared special attack. And so they now they want to talk more about it, and they're going to talk to each other. And it's like seeding ways to get players to interact with each other instead of just the, the the narrator is a really interesting way of starting to pull on that thread and and get more out of them very cool i'm gonna have to tell my gms to let me do combo moves <laughs> let, let you voltron yeah let's voltron <laughs> Brett does it? Come on. Come on. I heard it on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) That's me and every homebrew ever. I love that. So it would not be Dungeons and Dinners if we did not touch on a little bit of food. So whether it is a personal culinary history mm-hmm. or a moment in in a in a campaign do you have anything any any snacks anything come to mind when we when we touch mm-hmm. on what is your relationship to the culinary arts so um i am definitely much of like more of a baker than i am a chef um and uh a lot of my home games were like Oh, okay, like we're gonna make um hexagon cookies and we're gonna decorate them to look like D20s and stuff like that. So like that was always cute. My friend, like uh my best friend was always more like in charge of that, but I was like, I'll help. <laughs> um, because like I can at least help with the cookies. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I I personally love like kind of like bringing in some of like my own like recipes that I love into um, like games and stuff. So like if wherever we go to an end, somebody's going to be making like an onion soup. Cause I like, Oh, there's nothing that like hits closer to home than like a creamy onion soup. That's just full of caramelized onions, like mixed in. So good. Um, Are you, so here's a question. mm. Are you a, so like in a French onion soup, uh, I, I, I learned to make a French onion soup where the, you make the soup base, you make the caramelized onions and all the creamy goodness, mm-hmm. but then you add like a cup of mozzarella cheese to the top mm. and broil it. Are you a cheese in onion soup person? So, so I was, but, <laughs> but now Ooh. I'm like, now I have all these like weird dietary choices that ah. uh, my friends love yelling at me for but let me tell you right <laughs> now nobody ever questions when i put in like some vegan cheese okay nobody asks right. questions 
as I, if I don't tell you, the less mm-hmm. you know, the better it goes. Um, but yeah, no, I would definitely like, I haven't made an onion soup since I've like, or like a French onion soup since I've gone um, dairy free. Cause the thing, cause the other thing is I don't eat beef. So French okay. onion soup traditionally uses like a beef stock. Right. So my like take on a creamy onion soup uses um, like a chicken stock instead, okay. uh, a bit more like dairy in it, obviously like a dairy free option. Um, and just like so, so many onions. <laughs> like I would make it. <laughs> it that's uh, my, there was a I, I had a friend that like I don't love I don't love onion. I love onion as like a flavor, like a mm-hmm. supplement, but like onions, I don't really do. Mm. But I had a friend that was like, no. He he introduced me to the Chunyan burger. Ooh, okay. And it was just this is maybe this is because I was sixteen, <laughs> and possibly I was into some things then that I may not partake in as much now. Understandable. But it was a he was like no he's like I don't like onions on a burger but if you take a bun and you just put a fistful of onions on it and then cover it in American cheese mm. and then put a bun on top it's actually really good. And I'm like, more, more does not entice me. Like, if I don't like a little, a fistful doesn't sound great. Honey, that's just a grilled cheese, or at least that's how I make it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, alternatively, I love onions. Like, to the, so I, I currently have roommates, um, and we are very respectful of each other's, you know, groceries and stuff like that. But there's like a very small handful of things that like if it's in the kitchen it's yours go for it somebody will end up buying more and that's garlic and onions yep oh my god like we we messed <laughs> so it you're up. a whole onion on the grilled cheese person yes <laughs> absolutely used- so you just do the chunion burger as a snack so yes i do so alternatively like when i was in when i was when i was a youngin um and i would get just oh so hungry <laughs> there yeah, for no for no real no reason. real reason you know it was just like late in the afternoon i was like man i'm starving um there used to be this cafe in my town that i grew up in um diggers cafe never forget they went out of business but it was like oh, it was like the pastel goth of cafe it was like a 1950s style cafe everything was white minty teal like when you think of like a mint teal like convertible that color and black and the whole theme was like a graveyard digger so all the like menus and little like uh, characters in the restaurant is like family owned they have three restaurants they were all like skeletons um and all of the burgers were like you know the crypt or the coffin or something like that they had a meal challenge because every good diner has a meal challenge um and they just had the best food it was so good i'm not really like a huge bacon person but they would like bake their bacon rather than like fry it up Mm -hmm. and crisp it and that's how they would Mm -hmm. put it on the burger oh my god it was so good but i (laughs) i was a little infamous because i would go in i'd be like okay i want a ham a grilled ham and cheese but i want you to put onions on it bell peppers and like a soft fried egg and they just let me do it because i was there so often and like the (laughs) owner's son knew who i was so he was like okay yeah give her whatever she wants but i would do that and a milkshake oh i'd put it away it was so good (laughs) there's really something to be said for what like when you reach returning customer status 
Like, not just you're here for your second time. And may, like, if you do it to a Starbucks, it's got to be at like a Starbucks in a grocery store or something. It's got to be a little seedy. And, but when you hit that status, I love that. A where little they're like, seedy. <laughs> <laughs> just a little, just a, a little, little seedy. Yeah. When you hit that status at a place or a diner or a dive, yeah. like it's a little, but like they won't trust you the first time that you no, come in. No, no, like no. you get snotty looks and every, yeah. like when a Waffle House employee looks down on you, <laughs> you know that you have just been put in your place. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. But when a Waffle House employee says, what up, Liv? You know <laughs> yeah. that you can get whatever you like. Walk Anything. in and own the place. Yes, it's it's truly, truly powerful, and I I love it so much. Um, funny enough, that is the status that I am currently at with my local Starbucks. So the Starbucks, yes. like across the street from my job, I walk in, like the doors open, people part, all the baristas yep. are like, hey. And my drink gets pushed to the front. Don't tell anybody. We already got your name on this cup. Is it the usual? (laughs) Literally. Girl, it's 2 p.m. We knew you were coming in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you need an extra shot of espresso? Is your boss giving you a hard time today? Yes. Like, we got you. Oh, God. Love them. Shout out to my Yeah, But it's it's just that's so like. So that's that's where the like support your local business stuff. Yes. Is like because you're not going to get that from an automated self-checkout Walmart line. Mm -mm -mm. Like there's no, and like, sure, whatever. It's easy. It's peasy. I'm not going to hate on it, but there's a certain level of community of savoir faire of like just love Mm -hmm. that like, they don't need to do that for me. They know that I don't need to come here every day for them. Mm-hmm. But but the interaction that we build up and and I think there is I think that there it comes back to theatrics. Mm-hmm. Like I've been on both sides of it. I've been I worked at a Burger King for a long time, mm-hmm. way longer than I probably should have. And there were like three skater kids that would come in like punk rock skater kids late at night, closing down the store. And going down the play place slides on the trays because you go faster. Mm-hmm. And cl- we would close down the lobby and they'd show up and you'd like see them. You're like, all right, come on in. Yeah. You know, and not only that, but we're just going to drop a full bag of chicken nuggets and a full bag of fries. Mm-hmm. We're going to dump them out of the fryer onto a platter. No plates, no boxes, <laughs> no paperweights, just a pile of chicken tenders and next to a pile of fries. Have at it and enjoy. And they're gonna eat every single one. They eat all of them. And I would come out and join it. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna join the eating contest at how many chicken. I work here. Yeah. Don't think I can't put down like forty <laughs> chicken nuggets. All right. Like, yeah. Like I, I'll school you kids. Watch. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, but there's like that level of community is, and and I would. Of course, I want to go over the top mm-hmm. because I want to blow these kids' minds, yeah. right? Like, I want them to walk in and be like, oh, my God. Like, I want them in 20, like, when they're, hopefully, they're about my age now anyway. But mm-hmm. hopefully, one of them remembers that and tells a story to somebody out there that, like, this crazy drive through employee with his headset on taking orders would read things back in between shoveling, like, four chicken nuggets at a time into his face. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, but those theatrics are like, 
it's ah, it's just it's those moments that make mm-hmm. stuff wild. Oh yeah, it's it's so important. So like you, you know, worked in the food service industry. Um, before like before I've been doing the things I'm doing now, I worked in hotels. Everything from like a small little hotel in a mall attached to a mall parking lot to like um really big entertainment companies. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that good. That was solid. Thank you. <laughs> I've already mentioned I lived in Southern California. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just like luxury style hotels. But even then, like in in my you know, from my smaller experiences to my like much pricier experiences. Um at least like representing a brand. Um, There's so many memories I have of like going a little bit above and beyond, whether it be like theatrics, um, whether it be like faking notes from, you know, tooth fairies because some kid was afraid that their tooth wasn't going to get picked up and making sure you had like the chocolates that you needed. Kid doesn't need to know that they came from, you know, housekeeping. They don't care. But like (laughs) um, to just like, having people that I recognize every week come in, like it's, it's the personal connections and the memories that we make because of them that we do really anything that we do. Cause like alternatively, how many times you could ask any TTRPG player name, like your top five moments. And you know that they're going to be going for at least two hours. If you let them. Mm -hmm. I think that like it, it's the willingness to treat reality as fantasy. Like there is a, it, like you, like, and I know that there's, I actually, I'm just going to ask because I know it's there and I want to hear it. Okay. You mentioned a tooth fairy story as a housekeeper. Yes. Give me that. G- give mm. all of us that. Because okay. that sounds, that's not something that people would normally, th- at least I wouldn't think about. Mm-hmm. It's like, my kid loses a tooth in a hotel. How am I going to deal with this? Yes, yes. So I actually, so I actually was a housekeeper. I've worked as like a front desk employee. I've worked as a housekeeper. I've, I've done a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and so basically, what it was was, you know, the family was on vacation, and one of their little ones lost a tooth, and she was just distraught. Oh, she was so upset um, because, like we're not home. How is the tooth fairy supposed to know where I am? Like, she's not going to bring me anything. Yada, yada, yada. And, um, I am very good at, you know, signatures and stuff like that. So I, you know, these parents were running around and they were like, is there any way that we can get like chocolate, anything like coins, like da, 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 da. We, we have the coins to put under her purse. Like we've got that, but we want to blow her out of the water because she's just so upset right now she's like back with grandma she's so upset and i was like yeah like i pulled out like from my housekeeping tray like all my little chocolates i was like we can do this and they're like oh thank god and i was like do you want me to write a note from the tooth fairy and they're like you can do that and i was like yeah so i got their name and i was like dear so-and-so you know uh, give me more credit. I'm better at my job than you think. Da, 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 da. Like, of course I wasn't going to forget you. And so um, wrote that, sealed it all up for the parents. They were like so thankful. Um, yeah. And that was just like a little thing. I used to also like hide kids stuffed animals around the room. So the kids would like try to find them when they came back to the room. I would like leave little notes. Yeah. That's, that's so amazing. And that's like, 
man, it's it's the the stuff that the brand will never respect that of no. you. <laughs> but but the people will. Yes. Yes. And I think that's I think that's this in a similar way there's only so much that any major or minor TTRPG company can do mm-hmm. to show that they're listening to millions of players, right? right? And trying and like I and I I do have to give some credit to some of the major brands that are really trying mm-hmm. to adapt to social change and mm-hmm. to to support people that are that are really trying to make things happen in a good way. Yeah. But the people that will really be impacted by the the extra page of backstory, by the moment where you combo together with another player, mm-hmm. by the that magical moment is going to be the people at your table. And yeah. and it's it's really about people. It's a like this it's not even a lot of people and I myself have said as well, it's the collaborative storytelling experience, but it's so much more than that. Yeah. That's just the term that we latch on to that is the closest thing to describing that ephemeral moment where a little magical twinkle happens mm-hmm. over the table and and people come together. Yeah. So that is normally a story that I would generally save for uh, like a Patreon style uh, a question air. So if uh, those of you that are interested in knowing what happens in Patreon episodes, it's questions like those. But I thought that was, I was too good not to <laughs> dig into in the main cast. Yes. So, Liv, I always try to make sure that I cover all of my bases with my guests. Mm-hmm. And whether it is a shout out or a story that we didn't get to, an experience that you've had, or an insight of wisdom that you want to share. If there is anything that we have not covered on this podcast episode that you would like to dig into, I always leave the end of the episode, whether it's a minute or a whole conversation that you want to get into, I want to give the floor to you to make sure that you are able to give your message to the world. Hmm. I would say if I had to give a message... Um, don't ever feel like your ideas are too embarrassing because <laughs> there was so many points when I was like first learning how to play of like, well, I can't do that. That's dumb. <laughs> like, that's silly. Um, and now I'm like, what if I just live my like 12 year old fantasies as somebody well into their twenties doing TTRPGs? So no idea is silly. No idea is ridiculous. And even if you think it's been done before, it's never been done by you. So go ahead and bring it to the table. That's huge. That is, I think the, I've been, I've been struggling on, on two of those mm-hmm. comments that you've made. I've really been trying to dig into one is as a 36 year old person who by the time this episode comes out is almost 37. <laughs> Happy um, birthday. <laughs> <laughs> thanks not not quite close real close hopefully we don't bump it too far but <laughs> um uh living my 12 year old life mm-hmm. and like just just embracing the silly stupid stuff yeah is so enjoy it really is like there's no more shame who- i'm tired of it i'm no. tired of it yeah i'm done like i didn't get to be 12 when i was 12 mm-hmm. so 
I can be 12 for an hour or four Mm -hmm. when I'm, you know, now, and I don't care. It doesn't matter. And then, but really it's the, even if it's cliche and you've seen somebody else do it, if you haven't done it, like I've seen other people go skydiving or camping or hiking or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but it's different when you experience it yourself. And there's a, there's something to be said for, doing that now there's also something to be said for trying to completely recreate like please don't try to recreate critical role beat for beat yes like don't try to play through the campaign as a railroad as a story that you want to tell your friends Mm -hmm. if you're that interested and you're that excited by it then introduce your friends to that right but there is but if you want to play in wild mount get the explorer's guide Mm -hmm. have your adventure like if you want to do some cliched thing, if you want to try to seduce the dragon, and even though it's like every bard has tried to seduce the dragon, so what? Mm-hmm. You know, like make your GM guffaw at the <laughs> fact that you're trying to roll a persuasion check here. Like, yeah. It's fine if that's what you want to do. and and But don't do it because you think you have to just because you're a bard. And everybody else is goading you to seduce the dragon does not mean that you can't vicious mockery it, mm-hmm. right? Like, like as long as you're being true to your experience and what you want to do, like lean into it. Yeah, yeah, I I thoroughly agree. So, Liv, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been just an absolute blast. You're a treasure. <laughs> oh, thank you. I've had so much it's fun. <laughs> good. So um, we'll have links down in the description, of course, at Livin' A Day. That's L-I-V-I-N-A-Day on Twitter. And you can find her on Twitch as well. Links in the description, like I said. Um, is there anywhere else that people can find you that we haven't shouted out? Yeah, so um, you can see me or hear me do all of my games and stuff. So on Mondays, I am over on Total Party Chill with Under the Table, which is a uh, just basically series long, seasons long game where we do a couple of different um, systems. We try out different games so that you can kind of hear our take on it and how we play it. Um, we are currently in the middle of our season three. Where we're playing a Blades of the Dark hack, a uh, Fist of Darkness, Fistful of Darkness, which is like a weird Western hack. On Tuesdays, I'm over on Rule of Lore with Into Deep, which is an all queer LGBTQIA plus um, D&D 5E. We're doing Waterdeep Dragon Heist, Be Gay, Do Heists. And then otherwise, you can hear me on Super Idols RPG, which is a masks um actual play podcast where we do superheroes meets magical superstar idols (laughs) like pop stars and then i am a reoccurring cast member on the clearfield podcast which is a short form mystery horror supernatural podcast awesome and we'll try to have links for all of that down below thanks so yeah we'll get we'll get you to it in all of the places that you can see find a hear or experience live i highly recommend that you do it because yeah she's a blast thank Thank you you so much for coming on (laughs) thanks for having me i've had like a lot of fun so that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening, and thank you to Liv for joining me on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, consider clicking that star rating or dropping a review down in your podcast app of choice to help boost the algorithm gods and get this podcast to more people. All the links and contact information discussed can be found down in the show notes, and if you want to keep in touch, you will find that I am most active on Twitter at and Dinners. 
If you're interested in supporting the show or interested in the entire back catalog of exclusive bonus episodes like today's where Liv and I go completely off the rails into the land of debauchery, or you just want to help keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.